Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey everybody, uh, man, it's so good to be back with my Janesville online family. Um, Listen, I know there are still some of you guys who aren't ready to come back to church yet, church yet or uh, uh, maybe you're up at the cabin or you're out working in the yard and um, yeah, you happen to grab this maybe some other time. But I, I'm really glad that you've, uh, you've got this experience available to you. Um, now, if you don't know me, my name is Eric, and um, I used to be the Janesville campus pastor, but I'm now the executive pastor, and, and the plus about it all is that I still get to be Kellen's boss, so he has to go get me coffee when I make him. Okay, maybe not. Um, honestly, I really am happy to be jumping into a series that, um, that really feels relevant right now, uh, at a time when just about everybody feels overwhelmed by something. Either, you know, you're juggling work and parenting and kids at home, or on the other hand, maybe you've got all the time in the world, but no income coming in. Um, we, all, we all seem at least a little overwhelmed with something. Uh, and, and honestly, this series is such a great reminder that there is nothing greater than Jesus. No financial mess, no relational mess, no spiritual mess that Jesus can't handle. And, and today's message is, is supposed to be titled, Jesus is Greater Than Our Failures. And when I think of failure, I think of the Chicago Bears. Now stay with me. Uh, you, you remember uh, a couple of years ago when a, a guy named Cody Parker was the kicker for the Bears? And in one game, one game, he hit the upright four times. I mean, the dude is now a meme. And, and anytime somebody chokes like that on such a, like a huge stage, I, I always wonder what the next day looks like for him. I mean, how does that failure feel? Do you, do you stew in it and um, read all of the hate people are put, putting up online? Um, do, you, do you take it to heart? Maybe you just try to kind of put it out of your mind. Um, but listen, you can't go to the store because ain't nobody going to let you forget it. Um, I always wonder what it felt like for that guy. But, you know, even though we aren't playing on a stage like the NFL, I'm, I'm going to guess that all of us ha- have felt like failures at times. And it happens on all different levels. I mean, we get frustrated with ourselves for, for never finishing that DIY project. We, um, we think we should be further along in our careers than we are. Uh, sometimes it's a little deeper. I mean, sometimes it's uh, just this sort of undercurrent of bad self-talk that makes us feel like we're completely worthless. Maybe you had a parent or a spouse who said those things to you over and over until you finally started to actually believe them. And and sometimes, listen, we feel terrible about ourselves just because we did something that we know was wrong and we um, instantly regret it. If we could go back in time and change it, we totally would, but we know there's nothing we can do to take it back. And so we, we have to live in the failure. And today, that's where we find Peter. 
Uh, if you've been around church a while, you've probably heard this whole story, but if you're kind of new to all this, I, I want to give you the big picture. And then I want us all to just live with Peter in his failure today. And so, so here's what happened. I mean, it was right before Jesus was going to go to the cross and be crucified, executed, killed. And Jesus uh, actually was having dinner with his buddies. And, but it wasn't just any dinner. Um, it, was, it was special. I mean, there were things that he said at that dinner that have um, profound implications for everything that we know about him today and that we believe about ourselves today. But there was, there was this one interaction between Jesus and Peter that sent Peter into the pit that we find him. You see, Jesus actually was talking to all his disciples when he said that they would all desert him. And Peter, Peter got his feelings hurt. And then he got mad. I mean, mad that Jesus didn't think he was man enough to stick by him. Uh, mad that he got lumped in with all the other disciples when, when he knew that he was one of Jesus' inner circle. And, and so Jesus gently uh, told him that before the night was over, Peter was going to deny even knowing Jesus three times. And even though Peter was determined not to fail, he did. Three times people accused him of being one of Jesus' followers, and three times he lied and denied Jesus. And then Luke tells us that when he realized his utter failure, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. And then Jesus is just taken away and ultimately crucified, and that was it. Peter had no chance to make it right, no chance to apologize to Jesus face to face, and so he wept bitterly. And I wondered, um, have you ever done something that you regret deeply and you never had the chance to make it right? And maybe you did something um, that ruined a relationship and the, the other person wasn't w willing to listen to your attempts to make it right. Or maybe you just, uh, you know, maybe you wish you'd told your parents that you loved them and, and you appreciated them, but now it's too late. Maybe, maybe you did something that was so hurtful that you know that trying to apologize for it in person would only make it worse for them. And so you swallow it and you live with the failure and the regret. Does, does any of that sound familiar to you? Well, that's where Peter was. Jesus was gone. He was dead. There was nothing he could do to make things right. And then a bunch of women come running into the room after going to visit the tomb of Jesus, and they were absolutely freaking out. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things about the resurrection to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
See, none of these men believed what the women had to say. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Peter was any less of a sexist than the rest of the disciples, but I, I do think that he was way more desperate than the rest of them. I mean, he just takes off like a shot to go and see if Jesus really had risen from the dead. I mean, do you see the desperation? I mean, if, listen, if somebody gave you a chance to fix something that you'd screwed up so royally, wouldn't you grasp at any straws to take that chance? And, and I'm sure, uh, listen, I'm sure that Peter, Peter was excited, excited that Jesus was raised from the dead, but he, he probably also started feeling that sort of terrible pit in his stomach, knowing that he was going to have to talk to Jesus about what happened. And isn't that the way we all are? I mean, we would love to make things right, but the last thing that we want to do is open up about how we screwed up. It's easier just to feel bad about it or just to ignore it. So, so we're pulled between being the person that we know we want to be and the very real primal need to protect ourselves from being vulnerable. And so there Peter sat in his failure. Actually, if you read John chapter 20, um, you'll notice that, that Jesus appears a couple of other times, all to his followers, and, and there's this whole interaction between him and Thomas, but, but Peter is nowhere to be found. I mean, we assume that, that he was there with the disciples, but, but he's not mentioned, which is kind of weird because Peter's always mentioned. I mean, Peter is a lot like me. He could never keep his mouth shut. But when, but when Jesus came and appeared to the disciples, Peter was conspicuously quiet. See, I, I think he was still sitting and stewing in his failure and living in a shame spiral. Have you, have you ever been there? You know, you feel terrible about yourself because of something you did or something that was done to you and you, you know that the best thing that you can do is face it head on, pray about it, talk to somebody about it, bring it out in the open, get healing. But the truth is, that's all really hard to do. And so instead, um, we withdraw. We don't talk to anybody about it. We don't pray about it. Maybe we even stop going to church because we kind of feel like a hypocrite. And then that makes us feel even more guilty. Not only did I, did I screw that thing up, but now I'm running away from God. I must be a horrible person, which drives us even further away from God. And the shame spiral can lead us so far from God that we don't even remember how we got there. And, and honestly, sometimes it starts because we think that it's healthy and helpful to beat ourselves up. I mean, here's, here's our way of thinking, especially if we grew up in church. Here's our way of thinking. If I screw up, I need to make sure that I feel so bad about myself that I never make that mistake again. Uh, the truth is, as parents, we do this all the time to our kids. 
They do something bad. So, so we want them to know how disappointed we are in them so that they'll change their behavior. But here is the truth. Using shame to change behavior doesn't work. It only drives people far away from God. You know, there's this uh, woman named uh, Brene Brown. Um, she's done a ton of research um, on the subject of shame. And, and here's something that she writes. Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes that we are capable of change. You cannot shame or belittle people into changing their behavior. You see, church has spent a lot of time doing this. If we just make people feel ashamed for the bad things that they do, they'll feel so bad that they won't do them anymore. But here's the problem. It doesn't work. But here's the bigger problem. It's not even biblical. I mean, you look at the Bible, how is change or repentance supposed to work? Romans 2.4 tells us that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. God doesn't beat us into submission. He's not bent on controlling us. He, he wants us to see the value of a life lived in complete surrender him, uh, to him. It's the, it's the basis of the gospel. We aren't perfect, uh, but we don't have to be. We do things that we regret. We fail on a massive scale, and God brings us back to repentance, not with shame but with loving kindness. And that's what we get to see happen with Peter. I mean, there he sat in his shame spiral. Sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but Peter felt like an utter failure, like he couldn't do anything right. And so he went back to what he knew. And what Peter knew was fishing. So while he and a bunch of his friends were just hanging out one day, Peter was kind of still in his funk, and he uh, just up and says to his friends, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. I mean, Peter probably thought, I'm obviously no use to Jesus anymore. I guess maybe it's time to go back to what I know. At least, at least I know how to fish. I'm good at that. And it was, it was probably a comfort thing. You know, everything else in Peter's life seemed out of control, but fishing, fishing was like his domain. And so they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Are you kidding me? I mean, Peter must have felt like a complete loser. His shame spiral was coming to completion. He, he couldn't stand up for Jesus. I mean, he felt further from God than he ever had. He knew he was worthless as a disciple, and now he didn't even know how to fish anymore. I mean, come on. And that's when Jesus steps back in. I, I wonder, have you ever felt like Peter must have at that point. I mean, like, like you, can't, you just can't do anything right. Everything you touch turns to mud. I mean, that's, that's what Peter was feeling when, when Jesus stepped back into the picture. Here's what it says. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples out on the boat did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus. 
And he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. And he said, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and, and you'll find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Listen, faced with one of the biggest failures of his life, Peter thought he would go back to what he could control in the world, and that was fishing. I'm pretty sure um, there was a reason they didn't catch any fish, though. I, I personally think that part of the miracle that Jesus performed in this story was in keeping a, a few seasoned fishermen from actually catching any fish all night. And it was because God, Jesus did that because he wanted to do two things. First, he wanted to teach Peter that control is an illusion. And second, he wanted to take Peter to a point where his desperation would drive him to Jesus. See, Peter thought there was something he could control. And when life came crashing down on him, he went back to what, what was comfortable for him. Back when uh, Jesus first called Peter, what was he doing? He was fishing. And when Jesus called him, he dropped the fishing nets and followed Jesus. But when failure threatened to swallow him up, what did he do? Peter went back and picked those same nets back up. I wonder if you have anything like that in your life. Actually, here's the real question. The question is, what patterns do you keep going back to that Jesus called you away from? And listen, I want to be clear. Jesus... Jesus isn't mad at you when you go back to those patterns. He wasn't mad at Peter. Listen, he knows you. You and I seek comfort. We like things that, that we can control. That's part of how we're made up. That's how he actually made us. And so he's not surprised or angry or disappointed about it. But he does want to keep calling us back. I believe that Jesus wants to call you and me back to a life that is lived under his control instead of the illusion that somehow we're in control. It's one of the hardest and also most rewarding parts of following Jesus, allowing him to be in control and trusting that he's going to take care of us. And so, so I, I believe that. I, I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus kept them from, from catching all of those fish all night, uh, the first reason was to teach Peter that control was an illusion. But secondly, I think uh, this miracle uh, was about driving Peter to his knees. I mean, sometimes the best place for us is to, is to come face to face with our desperation. You know, we feel bad about things that we've done. We allow ourselves to fall victim uh, to the shame spiral um, where we feel so bad, uh, so we do bad, so we feel bad again, and it drives us further and further away from God. So, so we go back to what we think uh, we can control. And, and, and honestly, sometimes it works for a little while until it doesn't. And, and then we find ourselves on our faces, desperate for anybody to help. And, and that's where Peter 
finally got. Let's keep reading in the story. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. I mean, here's the truth. Peter was at the end of his rope. He was sick of pretending that things were okay. He was finally sick of trying to fix things on his own. He had nothing left to lose. And so when he realized that Jesus was on that shore, he lost his mind. He threw caution to the wind and he literally dove out of the boat and swam to Jesus. Now, I don't know where you've been in life. Maybe, maybe your life is just filled with one success after another. Um, but if you're anything like me, you live with a bunch of regrets, things that you feel like are failures, things you wish you could go back and change, and, and maybe you're good at hiding it. Maybe you, maybe you have created a life that you think that you can control and that it pretty well keeps the dark thoughts at bay. But if you're honest with yourself, Maybe you have some unhealthy things you think about yourself. Maybe you, uh, maybe you think you've sinned so much that God really doesn't want to use you. Oh, sure, yeah, I mean, he saved you, but, but there's no way he would redeem your life to the point that he might actually use you for his kingdom. Maybe it goes deeper. Maybe uh, emotional and mental abuse from your past has you thinking terrible things about yourself. You know, you're scared to attempt anything because you believe the lie that you're just a screw up, that you can never do anything right. You know, I, I'd like to, before we close, I'd like to compare a couple of the guys in that boat. Did you notice the weird way that the writer said, uh, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Do you know who wrote this? It's in the Gospel of John. So it was, it was John. Um, and guess who he's talking about when he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved? He's talking about himself. Like, it's super weird. And, and it's not the only time in his Gospel that he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's, it's like a little nickname he gave himself. Kind of weird, but whatever. But, but I want you to see the difference between these two men in the boat. You got Peter and John. They both deserted Jesus in his hour of need. They both failed at fishing that night. But, but the difference is that Peter fell victim to the shame spiral, while John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter saw himself as a screw-up, good for nothing, a complete loser, while John saw himself as somebody loved by Jesus. I, I, which one, I wonder which one of those men you're more like. The reality is that Jesus wants you to know that you are loved by him. I mean, I think he would love it if you would give yourself some weird nickname like loved by Jesus, because because then he would know that you actually believe it. 
But, but if you find yourself in the middle of the shame spiral, the good news is that Jesus is still in the business of calling out to you at your moment of deepest failure. He is always ready and waiting to help you see yourself the way that he sees you. Not as a screw up, not as good for nothing, but as the one whom Jesus loves. You see, Jesus is greater than your failure because he sees through your failures and he sees through your regrets long before you do. And he's ready to help you see yourself through his eyes. And it's part of what we remember as we take communion. And hopefully you have elements ready because when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we remember his body and blood that was sacrificed for us so that we don't have to see ourselves as failures. Everything that we've screwed up was put on Jesus on the cross. And everything wonderful about Jesus is put on us as a result of the cross. And, and so as you take communion today, would you remind yourself that because of his sacrifice, you can continue to call yourself the one whom Jesus loves. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.